Well, hello and welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. And I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back with another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. It's good to be back with you today. Again, this show, Elevating the Ordinary. What are we talking about? We're talking about ordinary life, the the ordinary vocations and and our our home and our family, those things that God has given us that are to be the material out of which he wants to build us into the the saints he's created us to be. Uh, And so we're glad to be back with you today to discuss all that. We have a a really different topic today and a really exciting guest, but I'm going to turn that over to Teresa to introduce all of that and and who's joining us today. Today we have an extra. Yes. Ordinary guests to talk about <laughs> extraterrestrials, which they're not, you, you mentioned in the book, they're not called. What are they called now? UFOs anymore. What are, what, what are they called? UAPs. Okay, so sorry. Oh. We have Dr. Paul Thigpen with us um, to talk about his new book. And I think, so Dr. Paul Thigpen, I think, is the second most published human being in the Catholic faith after Peter Kreeft. When I was looking at your bio, I was like, how many books? How many articles? <laughs> you have been uh, a powerhouse in um, Catholic, uh, Catholic publishing and making sure that the information that is getting out there to people is authentic and true and wonderful. And um, it's just so great to see you again. And um, we've known each other for, you know, Number of years in different so, contexts, in different, different contexts here and there. It's great to see you. So Paula. it is awesome to see you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what you're doing these days? And we'll get to the book. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. What a pleasure! What a pleasure! I uh, listeners may not know that that uh, Marcus and I, your your dad, are dear old friends. We first yeah. met the night uh, was uh, defending the faith conference in Steubenville. And uh, he announced at the end of the conference, and I was only a few months in the church at that time, I'm a, an adult convert, that he was going to be starting a new network and wanted to know if anybody was interested to come see him at a reception after. So we met then, and that was basically you know, the first meeting of people who were interested in creating the Coming Home Network. And uh, met Carl Keating and all kinds of other folks, uh, Scott and Kimberly Hahn that night. It was uh, really historic for me. Because we were brand new in the faith, uh, I used to be—I uh, was an ordained Protestant pastor, but uh, came into the church that was, wow, thirty years ago. And um, I, my first calling of vocation is I'm, I'm a husband and a father of of two and a grandfather of six. Uh, we have recently kind of retired. It's 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 official, but it's you know we're not really retired. We've uh, lived, uh, moved up now to the North Georgia mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains, which are a very beautiful, peaceful place to live. But I'm still doing a lot of what I used to do and what I've done in the past. I uh, uh, have a PhD in historical theology, and I um, used to teach college, a theology professor in college, and um, but was also a professional editor and writer for many, many years. Um, I've, yeah, the, my most recent book on St. Joseph, actually, right after the one we're talking about, is number 60, and I hope to keep going. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but but yeah, Dr. Kraft and also probably Matthew Bunsen. Dr. Matthew Bunsen has probably <laughs> written more than I have too. Uh, we're all friends. So um, anyhow, d- done all those things. Uh, <clears throat> my heart really is, is to teach in whatever way I can. I teach through my books. Used to be the college professor. I have a lot of one-on-one mentoring relationships now with, with young men. And uh, my heart is just to dis- disciple. I, my, my personal uh, passion is you know, what St. Paul said, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that he works, he labors with everything within him uh, in order that Christ might be formed in each one of those disciples. That's really where my heart is. And every book that I've written, no matter how exotic the subject may be like this one, mm-hmm. or may seem to be, in the end, that's what it's about, is bringing people closer to Christ and forming them more and more in the, in the image of Christ. I love that. Yeah, that's so well well articulated, and you know when, when you hear that articulated, you know that this is this is certainly some reason why we connect so well because that 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 discipleship, that's something we really feel. That's the reason in our small way we we do this little show is just because we we love talking to other families, other other spouses, you know about the this basic material, this this basic vocation of of family, which is. Uh, where most of us are called, as you said, our first our first calling to be the saints and to do the discipleship God's called us to is there in the family. And so uh, thank you for your work, uh, uh, Paul. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. You're kind. Uh, kind to have me. Thank you. 
Yeah. You're kind of wait. We had this plan <laughs> when this book came out, which was like three quarters of a year ago. <laughs> and we had lots of issues. So I'm so glad you were so gracious to us. <laughs> To stick it's with worth wait. Crazy it's worth the wait. Yeah. It is worth the wait. Thank you. Yeah. So your book is called Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith by Tan. And um, dust covers <laughs> are like not something in our house that exists because I read well, out the open with the kids. And it's like dust covers. Like the kids are like, this shouldn't be here. This came off. Like, All right. So, <laughs> so, so this has a, it has a beautiful cover that yeah, we don't have got, here that we're not able to show. Here you go. Here you go. There it is. Okay. Good. There it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Backwards. Yeah. There, there it go. is. Okay. Yeah. So you describe um, your background in, in the interest of UFOs. And from, from what I gathered, it seemed like a, like, like an exciting or like interested in awe, like awe filling, like, um, sorry, like pondering the wonders of the universe. I had a different, like, so I grew up Catholic, cradle Catholic. And um, I would say that I was like new agey, you know, 14 years of Catholic hmm. school, but really you're a new age pagan, right? It was like the nineties. That's what we did <laughs> back then. Um, and I was, I was so into UFOs. I was into anything esoteric, Christ, cryptozoology, you know, ghosts, ghost hunting, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think I, I went almost as close to the occult as you could probably get without doing things that I, I think I really would have regretted. Um, but when I converted to Catholicism, okay, it was very, well, reverted to Catholicism. Um, you have a quote from Father uh, Longenecker in here describing um, the way a lot of people think about, shoot, I have a lot of tags in here, so I lost it. But basically, the, the box to put UFOs in, the, bo the box to put the search for extraterrestrial life in um, for a lot of Christians is the devil. It is just a trick of the devil, and you need to just ignore these things, these these searches into the unknown you know, and it's just, it's just evil. It's a pathway to evil. And for a while, and, and it's very possible that in my case, the way that God was showing me the sins of my past life is that my particular vice was like dabbling into the occult, like trying to find a power, right? So in my case, that might've been the, God, the box that God allowed me to put this in as I grew in my spiritual life. Okay. Um, but soon I came to understand that like, there's no topics that are off limits in the Catholic church. Like we discuss it all and we search for truth in all of it, you know? And um, the reason why you said the reason why you wrote this book, my primary goal is to show that if extraterrestrial intelligence exists, that reality would not be incompatible with the Catholic Christian faith the Catholic Church could accommodate such a reality in her understanding of the world, just as she, as, as she has so many other scientific discoveries and developments throughout history. And she could do so without being unfaithful to the deposit of faith that she has received from the Lord. And Paul, like my historian's heart was just in love with, <laughs> you know, the first half of this book where you describe all the ways that the Catholic Church has mulled over this issue, that saints within the church, Aquinas, um, have just kind of like mulled over this issue without fear, you know, without the concern that if I, if I look this way, it might undo my entire faith. And I, I just, I, this, this book is absolutely incredible. So let's talk. Let's talk about- <laughs> Maybe, sorry, maybe yeah, not so far yeah. before we didn't quit. You, you talk about all that. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to start with a particular question or yes sure so um i guess john mark had one question um to to kind of talk about the like we we focus a lot on virtue in this uh podcast like applying the virtues to life and how the virtues can help us in our daily everyday ordinary life and one of the topics that came up for us was studiositas versus curiositas. Well, so, and let me contextualize it just a little bit in, okay. what, in terms of what Sorry. she said in, in Teresa's little introduction there. I mean, just that that notion that Christians f feel this tension of, 
where do we put this desire to understand this question about extraterrestrial life or these kind of sensitive questions? You know, is, I mean, comment on that a little bit. I mean, it, it's in the book, but, you know, when Christians encounter that tension to, to stay away from truth, like that's, is that a Christian attitude towards truth to be afraid of, of exploring a part of reality? I think, you know, if you look at the, you look at the historical examples that we have of saints, popes, doctors of the church, fathers of the church, um, uh, you know, I think I think of Saint Anselm. I think it was who you know who said this this wonderful this notion of whether there could be uh, other worlds out there, meaning other inhabited worlds. It's it's a marvelous thing that we need to examine. Um, he was so enthusiastic about it. He's you know was a great scholar of the church and others as well. That um, I I take seriously the point that there is a kind of curiosity. Saint Augustine used to talk about it that can get you in trouble, and that for instance, a lot of people get into occult things just cause um, a, a curiosity that isn't tied really to faith or virtue or anything else, but just, I want to know that. I want to, it's, it's kind of inserting yourself into situations that, that uh, you know, better left alone. So I understand that that's the case. Uh, but what I find in the example of um, so many great Catholic teachers and thinkers throughout the ages is that um, the issue you know, they, they weren't talking about UFOs specifically. They were, and the book isn't really about UFOs. I have a um, an appendix at the end because the publisher asked me to write it, uh, what I think about that. But it's really about just theologically, can the, could the church accommodate um, this this reality if we discovered it or d- disclosed by government? Um, or would it actually contradict our faith and thus undermine it when science says it's, it's real, it's here? And... Uh, and so I think the right kind of curiosity is good. Yes, we have examples of the saints and others saying, let's, let's learn more about this. And you have, um, <clears throat> you know, saints who are, were scientists and uh, philosophers and all those kinds of things. But the, the difference, I guess, is this, that um, you just always have to keep it as a, as a category within the overarching understanding of the faith. Um, that I, I didn't write this book out of a matter of, you know, just of curiosity. Um, I really have an apologetics concern here. And that is that uh, culturally right now, we are getting you know, more interested in this subject and similar subjects. And we're actually perhaps on the edge of the government revealing some things finally that they've known about UFOs for a long time. Um, and uh, and this is not just speculation. that you know, could recommend some books that just, give you the documents from Freedom of Information Act and other things. The government's been dealing with this since the 40s. Um, if that should happen, there are a lot of folks out there, uh, non-Christians, who have claimed for centuries, and you can go all the way back to whether it's the Swedenborgians or whether it's the, um, the skeptics like Thomas Paine or others who said, hey, this stuff is real, and if it is, it disproves your faith. It's not your Bible. It doesn't fit with anything else. You're not really, you know, humans aren't important at all because there are all these other races out there. You're not special. So if you believe this or understand this, you can't be Christian anymore. We still got folks like that around. And then you've got some Christians, uh, Catholics and other Christians who say, well, if it's not in the Bible and we haven't really talked about it, if it happens, if it becomes real and accepted, then I, I do have to put aside my faith. I lose it. The whole point of the book is to say, no, <laughs> no you don't have right. to. There are so many great Christian minds have considered this without fear, and they've been able to to work out and to offer. Yeah, this is how this is how this could be real, and it would not keep us from being special. It would not contradict the the incarnation on our planet. It would not create any you know any difficulty with the greatness of God or His intelligence or creativity right. or all powerful nature. In fact, it would expand our understanding of that. So for me, it's not so much a a matter of curiosity, but but a matter of um, discipling folks in such a way, helping them to form their faith in such a way that if this does become something that's that's commonly known, and it could even be discovered by the web telescope right now, that um, it's okay. They made. I would answer with the words that, um, as I quote in the book, uh, Pope Saint John Paul II. He was in an audience in Rome, and a little girl asked him. Holy Father, what about the aliens? And his response was not, oh, they can't be. 
or, oh, that contradicts our faith, or that would contradict our faith, or even they might be. But his answer was very simply said, they're God's children too. What a, what a beautiful answer. And immediately put the whole thing into context. In a certain way, that's what the book's about, to put that into that context. If they're there, they're God's children too. And, yeah, and, um, I really and like this book is yeah. not, this is not Dr. Thigpen's positing for 300 pages. This is like footnote after footnote after footnote after footnote of historical reference, historical reference. So this is, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is incredible. I, well, I can't believe you were able to find all of this <laughs> throughout all of history. It took some know. time. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like, it really seems like an incredible labor of love. Well, one thing I wanted to, I wanted to build on that you were saying, there, I really like, you know, this, this notion that, I mean, in this book, you kind of explored this topic, but part of your goal here was to, to form how we think about the stuff mm-hmm. in, a, mm-hmm. in a, I think the last episode, Teresa and I were talking, we were talking about that sort of that distinction between there's, there's the truth and then there's your attitude towards truth and your mm-hmm. attitude, like how you think about it really determines whether or not you're going to be open to more to more of it, or you're going to be closed down to it. And that's kind of the bigger issue here. Like there may, there may or may not, these things may be true, may not be true. But as you point out, the, the bigger issue is when Christians adopt non-Christian attitudes toward the question, that's the real issue. And so there's that discipleship element of here, like, you know, whatever the truth ends up being, we have to make sure that we're being formed and we're forming our children in a right attitude towards question and, and towards truth and towards exploration. It is one of the, you know, it's, it's, it's a, one example of the, the broader issue, especially of science and religion. And, you know, that comes up again and again. That's such an important thing in our culture that um, the, the very popular but untrue idea that they're always antagonists, you know, science right. and religion. Um, and one of the things you find when you look through, again, through history is to find out how many, first of all, that the modern science has its roots in many ways in Christian faith because of our belief and our you know, assumption after, because of our understanding of our faith, that the universe is, is uh, God's creation and it's, it's, it's reasonable and, and it can be examined and, and discover what kind of laws uh, uh, govern it. And even now with quantum physics, we're, we're finding, yeah, there's more that we hadn't realized before, but still that, that it's not a meaningless uh, glob of, <laughs> of matter and energy. There's actually, you know, there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a design in it. And knowing that freed people up to start then taking the scientific approach to discover what is this thing that we have, this universe that we have. And, um, and but also to show, you know, they always throw a Galileo out as the, the situation. See, that just shows how religion tries to crush science. But that's all uh, you got? Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> In one instance? <laughs> well, and not just that. I mean, he was close friends with the Pope. He, uh, he dedicated all his works to the Pope. He, um, he, some of his things like discovering the moons of Jupiter, he had to have uh, others to confirm this, other scientists for them to accept it. So he, he sent his work off to the Jesuit astronomers of his day and they yeah. confirmed it. There, it was more particular things that caused that kind of problem. And not yeah. just that, that, it wasn't just the theologians who rejected him, first of all, it was the scientists and the philosophers of the day. It was such an you know, earth shattering kind of thing. So anyway, you know, the point I'm making is that it's, it's one example of the attitude. You know, John Paul II, St. John Paul II talked about again and again his, his, his um, encyclical on, on faith and reason, you know, that he says faith and reason are the two wings on which we soar to the heaven, our, our minds soar up to heaven, that um, we shouldn't be afraid of science. Now, of course, science can overstep itself, and it does many times in the modern world. Um, drawing conclusions that it's not capable of drawing. Um, I've, you know, written a lot about spiritual warfare, about the demonic reality. And you'll often have scientists say, you know, that's uh, that's all bunk. Um, but part of the problem is that you can't put a demon in a test tube. <laughs> you can't, they're not <laughs> capable. They're not capable of studying some of these things that we're talking about, only their effects. So all that's to say that, that this attitude that you're talking about is so important, John Mark, is that, um, that we're open to it, that we don't just wholesale say whatever science claims that's, that's got to be true because they make their mistakes as well. The scientism, some people have called it, this notion that science is the only way to understand the world and that if science can't figure it out, then it must not exist. Right. Um, and and so we have to avoid that. But at the same time, um, here's an example I like to give. So you have folks saying, 
oh, everything that has to do with UFOs is demonic. And often that's based on uh, the case that something I will agree with, and that is that some of the so-called cases of abduction, alien abduction, do seem to resemble very closely demonic abductions and, and encounters of the past. It's just that they're presenting themselves differently. And I would say, yeah, in some of those cases, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is demonic stuff. But that's only one small subset of what we're talking about. There are all these other things that, that the parallel I would bring from history. I don't think I even mentioned it in the book, but I've thought about it a lot, is that there was a time, you know, when people knew about demonic possession and they knew the symptoms of it, things like seizures and other kinds of things. Um, and anybody who had that kind of uh, experience or, you know, behavior, it's all demons. It's all demons. It's all demons. Then the time comes, finally, science helps us to see, no, it can be something like epilepsy for the seizures. It could be something like schizophrenia, where it's, it's not a demonic thing. It has something to do with the body. It's a natural thing. Now, does if you accept that finding of science, does that mean you don't believe in demons? No, it means there's still cases that look just like that, that really are demonic. But it doesn't mean that as soon as somebody has a seizure or hears voices, they say, oh, it's all demons. No, can't be anything natural. I'm saying the same thing about this. Yeah, I think there are some cases where it probably is a demonic deception. But so many of these other things, just because they, just because you don't understand them and, and, and they make you uncomfortable, you can't just assign it all to the demon. There yeah. probably are some natural things out there, part of this natural universe that God has made that aren't supernatural at all. Yeah. we When we were first married, I was like a nonfiction snob because I'm a historian. And I thought fiction was a total waste of time. Like, why won't somebody just tell me what's true and I'll just believe it? <laughs> um, and I read, we were starting to read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. That's what got her. And I know yeah. that everybody has like a panacea pill that if somebody just does this thing, they will win in life. But like uh, the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy is one of the most mind-blowing concepts I have ever encountered. I mean, it this trilogy has shaped, reshaped the way that I look at the world. And I remember we, we listened to it on audiobook, which is actually what I would recommend if you're going to listen to it for the first time. Um, but like, I mean, we've probably read it 10 or 12 times up to this point, at least mm -hmm. I have. Um, but the first book was okay. I could handle going to like a, a planet and seeing monsters. Okay. I could handle that because it wasn't like the grays that would bring me terror because I, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but when you're into like crypto stuff or ghosts, like you're really into it in the moment, kind of like a horror movie. But then afterwards, like, like the, you know, discernment of spirits, St. Ignatius of Little, afterwards you're terrified. Like you, like you're just terrified all the time. And I was really scared of like the grays, the almanide aliens, you know? Um, so I was okay with like going to another planet and seeing things that look like giant bears, you know, I was okay. We got to the second book and he, he started bringing it closer to reality, closer to aliens coming into our earth and like abducting us. And I couldn't, I couldn't, we, we stopped listening to it because I was so afraid of going back into and having to think about that issue that I had carefully put into a box of demons. Right. And so we stopped for a year. Like I would not pick up that book again, even though I enjoyed the first one. And then finally, John Mark's like, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. And we listened to it. And that first part of the second book, Paralandra, is where Ransom is walking and being attacked by the demons, telling him, don't go forward. Don't go any further. This is that. This is bad. This wasn't, this was all in your head. You're just prideful or whatever, which were all the, the things I had been feeling trying to go through this book. And the way that C.S. Lewis orders the cosmos is breathtaking and it takes away fear and gives joy. You know, you know, there's no, like, I'm not afraid anymore. It kind of reminded me of the quote you pulled out of, of Padre Pio um, talking about aliens. Um, I have it somewhere. Maybe I have it here, but just basically like, what else? You don't think that do you think that they don't exist and that God's omnipotence is limited to this small planet Earth? What else? Do you think there is no there are no other beings who love the Lord? 
Father, I think that the earth is nothing compared to other planets and stars. Exactly yes, and we earthlings are nothing too. The Lord certainly did not limit his glory to this small earth. On other planets, other beings exist who did not sin and fall as we did. <laughs> That's wild, like, is it? Yeah. Like, I, I realized in this book, in the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy, that I wanted to be unafraid of the glory of God, of the bigness of God, of God's creation. You know what I mean? Hmm. And that I had been happy to put aliens or the existence of life outside this planet into a box because it meant that I didn't have to look at the possibility of truth. Do you know what I mean? Like a deal with the wounds yeah. of, of whatever the past was. So do you, are, yes. this is, yeah, this is like one of our favorite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, as you know, I've, you know, cited Lewis a lot in here, but his, his, yeah. uh, his nonfiction writing about it too is, is pretty amazing where he just starts looking through at the possibilities and, you know, Paralandra, the, I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't read it yet, but the, the brand new race that's been created, it's almost like a, it's Venus on Venus, almost like Paralandra is their name for Venus, almost like an Adam and Eve. They're the first couple and they're going to be tempted as well. And, um, well, Gosh, maybe I am giving no, away give too it away. much. No, give it away. But the point is that, okay, so there's the battle. And the funny thing is that, the so the demon, the devil wants to tempt them, the, the, the woman-like creature on their planet, the mother of all, who will be the mother of all living, and does it using a demon-possessed guy from Earth. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is just great, you know. He's a scientist. And Lewis right had now. talked about that in his nonfiction, you know. We, maybe, maybe the reason we're not making contact with this is that we're under quarantine by God because yes. he, we don't want any unfallen yeah. races to come get infected with what we've got. But then she ends up resisting <laughs> through the hero, the, the good guy who helps her resist the temptation. And when she's confirmed in her goodness, the way Adam and Eve would have been, you know, if they hadn't fallen – then his vision of what an unfallen race would have been and and the beauty, the glory of that. Oh, my goodness. And it was things like that that, you know, somebody was saying to me earlier that it was, you know, they, they thought writing about this topic was just kind of um, irresponsible and, and because the, the, you know, what's the point of it all? What difference would it make in our lives? But I learned so much by writing this and doing this research and it, even though I've been open to these things for a long time, as I began to consider the possibilities of what God might have done other places, it presses you to think about what it means to be human <clears throat> um, because you have to think about what it means to be non-human. The word define actually means to set a limit to. When you define something, understand what it is, part of what it is is you're saying it's not that. So it pressed me to go back to the teaching about image, the image of God. What exactly is the image of God? Because a, a lot of times we, will throw out oath means free will and rational intellect, but actually there's, there seems to be more to it as far as I can tell that immortality of the, of the soul is part of it too. And it pressed me to think about that. It pressed me when I started thinking about other po possibilities. I had to go back to the early church controversies, the, the Nestorian heresy and the Polinarians and others um, to begin to sort out all this out. And I realized, my goodness, this is, these issues, even if, you never get the issue resolved on earth. I'm sure we will in heaven, but the issues that you deal with, the things you have to ponder, really expand your mind, um, expand your, your uh, humble you in all kinds of ways and make you worship God in a whole new way to praise him as so powerful, so creative, so intelligent, all these things far beyond what we can imagine. That's the, love that's the effect it had on me. I love this. So the you know to, to use another example from the space trilogy here. I love it. The, in um, Out of the Silent Planet, the first book in the trilogy, where Ransom, the protagonist, is on, you know he's been captured and he's on the spaceship. And he's going out and in, into space, right? And he has this moment. He's reflecting. Oh, I think, uh, right there. Yeah, he's well. He's yeah. just reflecting on how the science that he had received. And you were talking about this a little bit earlier. The science had he had received. He hadn't really realized it, it had come along with a lot of philosophical and theological baggage. It's not just that he had heard scientific data about the universe. It had come along with a, a particular picture of the universe that was not scientific. It was philosophical. It was, it was a theory. It was, it was a faith in, in some sense. And when he actually gets out into space, he has that challenge and he suddenly realizes, no, this like the universe is, is big and beautiful and bright and full, like brimming with fullness. 
where did I get this idea of this cramped, cold, dark, meaningless universe? And it it just is a great example of how, again, this is where this theoretical topic like gets really practical, especially for us parents, because we realize that it's not just the data, like we're as Catholics, we're open to truth, but what's the philosophy and theology that's coming along with the data? Because Mm -hmm. you can have this really wrong attitude toward the truth, even as a Catholic, uh, that that betrays sort of like almost a practical atheism that I, I can say I believe in God, but I'm gonna I'm gonna regard the universe and myself and the things in the universe as if God didn't really exist. That's so true, and I you know it makes me think about how um, that this is an opportunity too, as as if the culture begins to think about it more and if things begin to come out. Um, one of the things I do find is that you know a lot of the folks interested in this are kind of post-Christian in various ways. But what's happening to them is that because they've been, especially because they've been raised in this culture that is scientific, not just scientific, but this notion that matter and energy is the whole show, no spirit, no God, no devil, no, you know, none of that. It's just, this is all we've got. And, and what I'm finding is that studying this topic is beginning to open them up some from that. They're saying, wait a minute, you know, what about consciousness? You hear a lot in UFO circles about studying consciousness now. And they've been told by the, the scientific materialists that um, consciousness arise in the, it arises from the brain and the human being, that somehow this matter and energy can actually give rise to consciousness, which, of course, you know, Lewis was one of the ones who helped me understand a long time ago. Nope, that can't work that way. It's a whole new level of being that c- can't give rise to that. And so... They're beginning to say things like, I'm wondering if maybe it's the other way around and that there's a consciousness that gives rise to the material universe. <laughs> I want to say, <laughs> we've been talking about it for thousands of years. Yeah, Come on in, the water's God. Time. That's right, right. <laughs> and other things that, you know, that they, and they talk about dimensions, you know, and, and creatures that could be from other dimensions. And however they define it, they define it in different ways. But there's one way they define it in which you could, understand them to be talking about the spiritual dimension coming in and out of physical reality, because we know that, that angels and demons, they are not part of our physical reality. They don't have bodies. They're pure spirit, but they can enter in the sense of, of having an effect on our physical world. And so I want to say to them, yes, if you know, rightly understood, there is another dimension that connects to this dimension and that there are portals, the word they would use from that into this one, <laughs> especially <laughs> demonic, but also angelic. And all these things, I'm finding myself being, you know, starting to say to folks, okay, this is now broken, you, you know, broken open that old picture you have of scientism, that science has got to be explained because you are finding out there are a lot of things science can't explain right now. And so please keep yourself open. A lot of folks want to go to the Eastern direction and start, you know, thinking of consciousness in Eastern ways and that kind of thing to say, don't be so quick to to put aside or keep aside the Western Christian view of these things, because I think you will find if you study this, if you study the, the Catholic faith, I think you will find answers. And I think you will find um, that, how do I put it? The, the fulfillment of, this, of the longing of your heart at the same yeah. time, not just your mind, but your heart. And so I've, I've been trying to send, send the book to people in the UFO community who seemed to me, maybe they had a religious background, a number of them were raised Catholic, um, seemed to have, this whole thing is kind of setting them off in a different direction. I'm sending the book saying, yeah, you might want to take a look at this. There's uh, it's just maybe a, there's a whole new way to see it. Well, you know, it brings up another practical point here, which is, you know, like how, how we think of evangelization, how we think of sharing the faith. I think sometimes we share the faith badly precisely because behind it, we actually have that wrong attitude towards truth that acts as if God is not really God. In other words, we sort of treat treat it as if God is in a box and we have to strong arm people into the box rather than recognizing, no, if, if God is God, he's created everything, including you, including your human nature, including the longings of your heart that are, that are getting you to grasp toward the truth. And if we really believe that, then we as Catholics can, we can sort of share and encourage from a place of peace of like, if we see somebody grasping, we don't have to, you know, you know, get bad out of shape and say, why don't you just accept the gospel right now? We can say, no, keep going, keep going, keep searching the truth here. Check this out. Like we can, 
we can trust that God loves them more than we do. And he's, he's reaching out to them. And so I feel like that's part of being a Catholic is having this peace when it comes to truth of recognizing it's all, it's all God's truth. And so we can encourage people who are moving towards the truth. Just keep going, just keep going. Right. It is so important. And there's a certain pride, you know, we have to be, be careful of, of, uh, of folks who just say, you know, they say they're teaching what the church teaches, but then they have all these other things along and, and that the church hasn't defined or hasn't talked right. about specifically. And they'll see that as part and parcel of it. And so it rules this out. So there are people out there say, oh, no, this contradicts the Catholic faith. It's, Can you show me? Well, it, the catechism says this. Well, if you look a few sentences later, it says this. and It puts it in context. These things are being talked about on earth. It's really not telling us anything out there. I've talked to... Um, I guess you wouldn't mind my mention of Father Mitch Bakwa, you know, EWT. We were having dinner the other day, and, and I was talking about the subject. And he said, no, there's nothing nothing contrary to divine revelation that we have and, and the possibility of that existence. And plenty of other folks as well, as I talk about in my book. That So we can't, uh, when somebody says to you, it's contrary to the faith, I'd say, well, read my book. You know, uh, I talk about all kinds of passages and the, the catechism and encyclicals and other places that some people have interpreted that way, but I, but I think it's, I think it's pretty certain um, that the church has not defined this issue. It's still open because the church recognizes it's the kind of because God hadn't revealed it to us, then it's the kind of thing we need to see what science says, what it discovers. Yeah. Um. So usually when like I'm reading a book, I connect everything in the world with that book that I'm reading, <laughs> and right now I'm reading Love and Responsibility by John Paul mm -hmm. II, and there's this, he defined prudery as the fear, the internal fear. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it wrong, but like, it's the fear of someone's heart of wanting or desiring something that is either ordered or disordered. And so in order to not like to, to make everyone around them and even themselves feel as if they're not afraid of that thing, they like control the externals, I guess. Um, so, I mean, he was talking specifically in terms of shame and likely modesty in the example that he was given, giving, but I could see that in my own heart, because I, like, even, even when you mentioned, um, I listened to you on Matt Frad's show. And when I was hearing you give all the examples of like aliens, <laughs> like, walking around and buzzing nuclear places and being recorded by, you know, um, various militaries all over the world and, and whatever. And then the quote that you gave from Aquinas and Padre Pio, and I was just like, whoa, this is like getting too real for me. This is too much. And I started to pull back into that, like that freak out place where I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to deal with what's going on in my own heart. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want like my, where I am right now is fine. <laughs> You know, I don't want to think about, I don't want to put this into a new worldview, but it was actually Padre Pio's insistent nonchalance about the subject <laughs> that made, like, like you were saying before, um, uh, maybe it was while we were recording, but just like you're in, you're doing mentoring relationships now with your experience now. I felt that way with Padre Pio where I was like, look, that man was a mystic. He had like a direct line to God and many angels. You know what I mean? Like if he can be at peace with this, then I can chill. I can chill if it's like revealed in my lifetime. We're cool. But just like having that, like, like wrestling with your own fear, you know, do I trust God? Do I really believe that he has saved me or am I, have I just been making this up because it makes me feel good? You know, and like, if I really believe that he has the power to save me from hell, then if he's created other beings, like, I can chill <laughs> and let him unfold his, you know, glory that is bigger than my own mind, you know? Yes. And, and again, the quote from John Paul II. I mean, yeah. how chill can you get? You know, it's just, <laughs> they're God's children, too. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. yeah. But you, you know, and you have it from other places. I just... um. I do want to mention the, the Padre Pio quote. Some have, have challenged that um, because they just think they can't believe that he would say such a thing. And uh, the source, there are actually two Italian books, one written by a spiritual 
spiritual son of Padre Pio and one written by a spiritual daughter. Those were people who actually he had designated as a spiritual son and daughter. There were a large group of them who knew him well. And then a few years after his death, published two different books, um, both citing <clears throat> these words. And the second one that uh, they, were, they, they were written or spoken to her. And uh, it was published by uh, an apostle of the Capuchin order, the Padre Pio's order, in San Giovanni Rotondo, the, the place where he had been. So it's it's very hard, <clears throat> excuse me, hard for me to believe that. Oh, and it had the imprimatur of the the bishop of Vicenza, uh, auxiliary bishop. So it's hard for me to believe that <clears throat> these people would have been lying or, or making that up, you know, some kind of a hoax or something. To yeah, independent, for what cause? <clears throat> yeah, for what cause? And yeah. and the other thing is that I know, you know, I've been an editor and a publisher before. If um, if someone came to me with a book saying that he had said this, and then. Um, and I knew all these, I knew him to be a long-term associate and her to be that. <clears throat> and then I knew that all these other people had heard Padre Pio and they do kind of how he sounds and that kind of thing. I, <clears throat> if I thought it was a hoax, it, I, I wouldn't have published it. You know, if I had any questions about it, I don't think so. So I'm just saying that I believe that the sources are, are reliable, as, as reliable as you can get in history because they were recent. They weren't like something that happened 20 years later, uh, all those things. But he, um, I wish I had been the, the person talking with him. <laughs> I kept, first time I read it, I said, oh, no. You know, because given that he was known for ha knowing all kinds of things by private revelation, mm -hmm. he, could, he could read thoughts in the confessional. He knew remote events that he couldn't have known naturally. He knew future events. He knew all these things that God revealed to him. So that makes it even sharper, you know, this, that he would say yeah. that. Because I wanted to, because like you said, he was so confident about it. He didn't say, yeah. well, if they are, or maybe they are, or something like that. He said, what? I mean, I could just hear him. If you ever, you know, heard his his conversational style, it was just like yeah. a very blunt and direct. What? You think that? Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. So, and he, he like that, bilocated up to a jet plane at one point. <clears throat> so maybe he's seen them himself. <laughs> that's, that's speculation. That's a joke. Yeah, I know. I know. But <laughs> But again, you know, the, the point I'm making is I wish I had been the, the, yeah. the person talking to him because I would have right away said, Father, <laughs> is this just your convinced opinion or did God reveal this to you? Because I sure would like to know that. Um, but we don't know. So yeah. that, yeah, yeah. I do. I did want to address, you know, something that Teresa started to mention earlier, which is just again, on a practical level, I think in our modern information age, I think Christians do have to be careful. Like you noted, you know, the the curiosity. When we have a curiosity for things, we have to kind of note where it's coming from in our hearts. Is it in accord mm -hmm. with virtue? Is it in accord with our faith? Maybe talk about that a little bit in terms of like, there is, a there is I think, a right place to explore and study and wonder. But then there's also a place in our lives where we, we want to, we want to, we want to be distracted from our proper mm -hmm focus in life. Talk, talk a little bit about those dynamics in terms of how, how should we approach this topic, you know, if, we, if we're interested in it. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, that's a great uh, point. It's, I like to, uh, to the extent that we can know our hearts, and sometimes it takes a while to discern our yeah. own hearts. The question we have to ask ourselves is, why do I want to know this? I mean, that's, yeah. that's really the ultimate thing. In my case, um, part of it is just, I, I want to know the truth about this, this is debated matter. And uh, and it really does have important implications for for life in general, at least for the planet. And um, and I think that's a, you know that's a reasonable thing that if if we can know whether we have um, other children of God out there, that that would be a good thing to know. It humbles us. It, it tells us more about God's creativity and greatness. Um, on the other hand, if if I want to know simply out of idle curiosity, or I want to know because I hope it's going to be a door to kind of secret knowledge of some kind. St. Augustine talks about that connection, that often that kind of a curiosity leads you into the occult because basically the occult is kind of a, seek for, a search for power. And so if you're looking for something for that reason that you might be able to, that knowledge might be some kind of power. Um, if you're looking into it because you want to contact these things, I'd say definitely don't do that. There are people out there who think yeah. that they're, contacting they're they're invoking these things to show up and the lights start to show up in the sky and thoughts come in their mind that's the kind of thing that i think could very easily be demonic you don't want to try to invoke them so you know but just keep it you know for me again the reason was to know the truth 
but also because if these things turn out to be true, to know how they relate in some way to the faith that we have, that yeah. they, so my motivation again was, was a, a Catholic apologetic, a Christian apologetic. Yeah. So ask yourself if, if you have that kind of intense curiosity, you know, what are your reasons for it? And, and if you have to train, train your motivations. That's really good. You know, I was to, to add to that. I was thinking about like, I think one of the ways you, again, you said, you know, examine your heart and sometimes it's hard to know your own heart. I think one of the ways you can know your heart when you're unsure is like, is, is the action this is leading me to something good or bad? And I just, I thinking about the times in my life when I've had interest in this, I can think of two distinct situations. I've had times in my life where a topic like this, you know, or something that I have a similar curiosity for, like political intrigue or church drama, mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. well, what what is the fruit of it? Is that I, I'm at work and I would rather be watching YouTube videos about <laughs> you know following yeah. the rabbit hole down. And I know that gives me insight into my heart because I know that, well, even if there's a, a right place in my life to explore and inform myself about this, this isn't the time. And so I know that there's something wrong in my heart here. Whereas I was thinking today when we were preparing for the show, like the, the other extreme in my life is that, um, my kids have a childlike wonder about space and about aliens, about the universe. And when I'm spending time with them and they're talking excitedly about it and they want to ask questions and they're, you know, and they want to, you know, think about these things, then the, the, sometimes in, in those moments, I don't want to, because there's a part of me that would rather be on, you know, doing something else. And that's actually the time when I need to, you know, actually, yeah, this is the time to wonder with them, to explore, mm -hmm. to answer questions, mm -hmm. to ask questions that's the right time and place for that. And so sometimes like how, what it's leading to us to do in the moment and whether that's the right or the wrong time, that, that can give us some insight into our hearts, I think. That's, oh, that's beautiful. It is. And it, it goes back to a theme uh, that I talk about all through the book. If you read its beginning and in the end, um, yeah. and that's humility. Yeah. That part of, part of why I want to know this is, is, is out of humility to know what the truth is. I don't assume that I know it all. Uh, with regard to this, that I can't just write it all of as demons or something else. And <clears throat> I like to to talk about the sense of wonder, you know, that uh, the way I define wonder in the book is it's humility in the face of mystery, humility in the yeah. face of mystery. That's what wonder is. And that's, that's part of, of the way God made us. And if we can be humble in the face of mystery and say, I don't know it all, but Lord, if, you know, if it shows me more about you, I want to know. Then, uh, then that's a great place to start. And and it's, I thought about it because of your children. That's where they are. Childlike wonder is yeah. such an amazing thing because it's a kind of humility that they have. I don't know, they say. So what is it? Tell me about it. I want to understand it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, humility really is that. It's such an important virtue, such an important turning point, an important conversion. You know, like the humility in the face of mystery, right? So not... not um, <laughs> unfaithful fear in the faith of mystery, mm -hmm. right? Not losing our, our faith, our trust in God, but nor having a prideful uh, assumption that we know it all and there's, and there's no mystery here and I can reduce it and I can simplify it, but having a simple humility in the face of mystery, that wonder, like that really is this right attitude that no matter what the topic is, that's the right attitude. That's the Christian it attitude. Is. It is. That's what you, I mean, that's what you get in the scripture, you know, Isaiah sees, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up in the temple and his train filled the temple and the angels cried, holy, what does he do? He falls flat on his face. And says, yeah. You know, I'm a simple man. It's humility in the face of that mystery he was encountering. And, and you get it with John in the, you know, the book of Revelation, same thing. He sees the Lord and he falls flat, or he sees an angel and falls flat on his face. And, and, uh, and that's part of what we have to do, not to worship, of course, but to, to say, uh, I, I don't know, Lord. I mean, I love that verse, you know, where the, the, the father says to Jesus, uh, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I know something, but help what I don't know. Help my ignorance. Um, right. Show me, teach me, understand, to understand. We, we contemplate stability a lot. <clears throat> like what makes a stable person? You know, like when you're, you're just like, I'm always going to go to that person for spiritual, marital, whatever kind of advice, because they just always seem to have the right answer, you know? And I, I appreciate so much that you said that you, you wrote this book because you see that something might be on the horizon. And if it is, you know, if we do come to find that alien UFOs have been buzzing our world for 
a while and that life exists, uh, extra intelligent life exists outside this planet, it can create a lot of fear and vacillation and going back and not nobody knowing where to turn. I mean, suicide, you know, like, like a, like the bank when, what happens when stock exchanges do things and people jump, you know, out of windows or whatever, like I could, you could see that occurring, you know, and it's just, it is so good to know that the church has talked about this for, has pondered this for a long time because it, it gives you the ability to remain stable in a scary situation and say, you know what? I think the church has answers or has thoughts or, you know, can guide me and lead me and keep me a stable, steady rock for all the people who are looking for someone to tell them yes. it's going to be okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, I don't mean Precisely. like, a, yeah. yeah, I don't mean like an opiate, but it's just like, if sometimes when you can just find that rock and that steady person, you can make it through. You know, so I, I greatly, greatly appreciate this. I have this book is going to a priest friend who's really into this, like we share this this interest. And so this goes to him next. Uh, very excited to pass I'm it along. I think we're, yeah. we're nearing the hard end here, Dr. Thigpen, so that you can get to where you need to go. I appreciate so much. Do you have any last things that you want to tell people or where they can find you if you even want to be found when you're retired? <laughs> uh, well, a lot of my most recent books you can get from TAN, uh, online, tanbooks.com. Uh, I, my most recent book after this one is uh, the, the Life of St. Joseph is Seen by the Mystics. And that was another just wonderful thing for me to, uh, to study some of the mystics. It's private revelation, and we talk all about that in the book. But uh, to to get me to contemplate St. Joseph, such a wonderful role model, and and so marvelous, and uh, so that's that's one way they can kind of you know encounter some of my stuff. Uh, do some speaking about Fort Worth and maybe Oklahoma City or Tulsa sometime soon. But mostly, I just want to say to folks, our our faith is deep and rich and nuanced and broad. Um, <clears throat> we can handle it. The faith, I mean, not we ourselves, but because of God's grace and because of what He's given the Church. Yeah, there'll, there'll be questions to ask if this kind of thing happens. But with this and everything else, God is God. The church is not going away. Um, he'll help us to understand it the same way he helped people to understand when they say, oh, my gosh, the Earth's not the center of the universe. And, oh, my goodness, they're actually what seem to be humans on the other side of the ocean. You know, do they descend from Adam? Where do they come from? And the church was able to say, OK, well, let's, let's study it and, uh, and then explain it within the view of the world that we know to be true. So encourage people, like you said, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Wonderful. Oh, it's been wonderful, Dr. Thigpen. Thank you so much. It has. You're so kind to, to have me on. And, and please okay. give my best to your families. And yeah, it's great. Absolutely. And thank you. And thank you for your work. Uh, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Elevate Ordinary. Again, you can go to elevateordinary.com for the past episodes. If you want to continue following along with this ongoing discussion. Uh, or you can uh, email us at elevateordinary, uh, elevateordinary at gmail.com. We'd love to know, or, or you can comment on social media, those places. We'd love to know what you think about this topic. You know, how, how have you thought about it? How have you come to think about it? Anything stand out for you in this in this discussion? How do you talk about it in your family with your kids? Again, how, how are you as a parent, you know, finding ways to form your kids, not just in true knowledge, but in a right attitude, a Catholic attitude towards truth? You know, that will carry them throughout their life. We'd love to know how you're doing it. We'd love to hear what, how it's going in your family life. So thanks again for joining us for this episode. God bless you. We'll talk to you again soon.